here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. I'm Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the show. We're just going to get right into it today. I'm feeling good, feeling lucky, feeling like life is a gift. I had this, this strange health scare the other day, and boy, health stuff can certainly reprioritize what's important, right? Being able to communicate with you, being able to walk and talk and think freely, can't take any of that for granted. And today I think you got a great conversation in store for you with the wonderful, thought-provoking, trying to think of another adjective or adverb here, um, intellectual Joanne Gerstner, fantastic writer, journalist, she just started a new newsletter on Facebook called opencourt.bulletin.com, or at, rather, opencourt.bulletin.com. And she's just an incredible writer. She's a journalist. She teaches journalism at Michigan State. But she just created, it's very similar to Substack. You know, I'm a big fan of Substack and Barry Weiss. Seems like it's the same model. I really like, I really like and I'm really gravitating and connecting with her perspective on the world. And it's not only just about sports. I know her focus is sports journalism, but I like writers who share perspective on different areas in the world. And it's, it's weird. I do feel like, and this is, we, you know, Joanne and I touch on this a bit, but it's strange, but I, I do struggle sometimes with this idea that I should only focus on one thing or I should only talk about one thing. And, and the reality is, is that I think a lot of people think that way because the algorithms and social media clearly benefits those who are sort of like myopically focused on one area. And I know by saying myopically focused, that could almost come across as being somewhat judgmental or negative, but it does feel like social media rewards or sort of prefers people that focus on one particular area. And I do like writers and people and podcasters who share their perspective on different areas. I think that's exciting. I think that's what makes us human beings and we're curious. And I think we need to stop thinking about what technology and what we think, you know, is appropriate for our brand or what our followers really want. You know, it's okay to change it up and try something new and, and share your perspective on different areas. And I think that's what I really connect with, with Joanne. I mean, she's really articulate and smart and has a nuanced perspective on sports and the world. But um, I think she is willing to just put it out there, which is great. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, she's just really wonderful and, and very articulate and, and just very... Um, I find myself thinking when I'm, when I'm done speaking with her. So I, I imagine you'll be feeling the same. So again, you can find Joanne's newsletter. Type in opencourt bulletin.com. You can sign up there. You can find her on Twitter. Um, I always forget her handle on Twitter. It's Joanne C. Gerstner. She's also on Instagram. Instagram is Joanne G313. I have no idea what the 313 is. I'm just going to say that maybe 313 is an airy code. Possibly in the Midwest, but I, I have no idea. But maybe she'll let me know about that some other time. We talk about sports. We talk about the news media. We talk about BTS. We talk about swimming. We're both big swimming fans. And you also hear our cats a little bit in the background. So it's a great talk. 
Um, thanks again, Joanne, for taking the time to speak to me. I truly appreciate it. You know where to find me all on Instagram at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Website, IamEddieCohn.com. All my new music is out on all streaming sites. And that is it. Thanks so much to all of you for listening, supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. So I'm trying to compete with Russell Brand and his uh, his newsworthy stories on YouTube. So I appreciate you chatting with me again. No problem. No yeah. problem. Uh, don't try to compete with the others. Just no. be yourself. No, you know? I know. I'm trying to add a little levity here because, <laughs> well, you're, I've been um, reading your, your uh, I don't, uh, not bi-weekly, what would I, what's double? It's twice a week. Twice, twi- twice a week. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, going to be uh, Tuesdays and Fridays. I'm moving it from Mondays to Tuesdays because okay. there's so much going on that sometimes I need some time to process what happened on the weekend. So yeah. taking a little time to think and do some stuff is good. So Tuesdays and Fridays, Open Court comes out usually about 2, 3 o'clock Eastern. That's what I'm aiming for. So um, it's, you know, done live. It, nothing's... Nothing's rehearsed. We go with what we got. And, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But whatever it is, you know, we're, we're doing our best. Yeah. Well, I, it's funny. I just had a writer on my show. And I, it's actually, I feel like it's inspired me to um, sort of go down that route a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot here story-wise that, you know, we could talk about. But I, I, I kind of want to go make it a little more personal right now. What What's inspiring you to... To write and 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 I don't know if it changes over the years. I kind of want to go do a little backstory, but let's keep it topical and current. You know what's what's inspired what what inspired Open Court and what's inspiring you right now to write. That's a great question because you know Open Court is a literally an experiment in progress, both for myself personally, but also for Facebook. It's its first entree into having the newsletter genre for journalists. So the goal of Open Court is to, frankly, develop a good business model where, you know, there's tons of journalists that have gone to Substack and other platforms to monetize their journalism. And Facebook, through its Bulletin.com platform, so it's opencourt.bulletin.com, is aiming to do that. So the goal, ultimately, for this is to build up my subscriber base. And then, you know, half of it will probably be free, and then there'll be some premium content, a mix. I'm not going to be completely greedy and say pay for everything. I don't think that's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, the goal for Open Court is literally the name. It's open. And there's so, much, so many things that interest me. And I was just talking with somebody this week who's very knowledgeable about the newsletter game. And he was saying, you know, sports newsletters are some of the hardest ones to do because sports is so broad. I mean, if I was just writing about the stock market, I'm here. If I'm just writing about food or fashion or, you know, whatever, I'm very, you know, I have it. The more narrow you can make things, frankly, the more successful some of these Um, newsletters are because they're to a very narrow casted audience but my interest the sports world itself is very open and you know sometimes I might want to be goofy and you know just talk about some of the ridiculous stuff that's happening in in a lighthearted way but other times I want do want to go into the absolute horrific handling of sexual assault within the college sports and obviously the Olympic level or what's going on with Aaron Rodgers I just wrote about that on Friday about how his research as I call it the Joe Rogan School of Medicine is crap 
and it's selfish and it's stupid and you know it's those things frustrate me so I react both as a journalist but also as a fan like these are the things I care about and whatever I do or what I write about is what strikes me and kind of in my gut like I need to talk about this so it's not as planned out and scripted as my other writing for other places has to be yeah. which is both good and bad. So I'm a little looser, a little um, goofier, I'm a little funnier. I definitely swear more. Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, so yeah, so it's a, it's a different style of writing, but very much an experiment in progress. Um, just to, to educate me, though, I know all about Substack. I, I have, um, you know, to your point, and I don't know if this is to my demise, but I do think we are creating a world where you have to be myopic in the way that you almost create. And I, I think it's hard for me because, you know, I podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer, I, I make music, uh, I'm a DJ, and, and I don't know if that's to my, to my demise in a strange sort of way, but I feel like the world is almost not making, but inspiring people to just sort of be very one track minded. I thought it was my cat. It, like to be one track, mi- like it's, it's, it's like you can't explore. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. And, and, you know, and that was kind of the intellectual discussion I had with, you know, you know, as he said to me, your advantage is that you're very well, you know, knowledgeable about a lot of things. Your disadvantage is you're knowledgeable about a lot of things. Yes. People want only one thing. So I said, well, it's kind of like, going to an ice cream shop and only having one flavor. I said, you know, we don't want a choice. He said, yes, that, you know, it's good. But the problem is that the, you know, the monetization, AKA, you know, the capitalist part of this, the more niche and more specific you can get, the more you can capture your pie of the audience. And because sports is so broad, you know, for, you know, he said, you know, if you just wrote about one thing, say if I only wrote about the Dallas Cowboys, it'd be very easy to do this because mm. I'd have, you know, I know my audiences would be very, you know, locked in and that's it. I've never read about anything else, just the Cowboys. Well, if I'm going to do this twice a week and feed my soul and feed my mind and hopefully write an authentic way, I'm not limited to one thing. I don't, you know, I don't always choose the same flavor of ice cream and I don't always want to write about the Dallas Cowboys. So to your point, being a jack of all trades is no limitation, but my view of this whole Substack, um, you know, bulletin.com, so I'm sure there's others going to be coming, is that we are taking some of the expertise, some of the knowledge, some of the discussions that frankly should be in newspapers and magazines in the mainstream, and we're narrowcasting them to a smaller audience, and hopefully we're engaging them with the community. But on the downside, you know, some of the stuff that I'm writing and saying should be in other places because they're not just topics for my audience. Their topics, what everyone should care about. So it's almost like we're taking a magazine, like a really good magazine, and busting it into pieces and just sending this part here. Whereas I might have wanted to read the whole magazine and learn about stuff I didn't know about because it exposed me to it. Right. So I really, I really wonder about that for our audience. But you know, this is where we're at right now, and it does give journals platforms. I mean, some of the stuff that I've written about, I know probably wouldn't have gotten published um, in other places. Like I wrote uh, for. Uh, Indigenous Peoples Days, I wrote about the rise of lacrosse in the United States. Lacrosse has been played for, you know, forever by tribes and nations, but now the talent is being recognized at the university level. So you can get a full ride to Syracuse or to Johns Hopkins. And just the whole transition of going from something that was native to your culture 
to now using it as a vehicle to go to college is very different than how it is for a lot of people in most sports. Right. And I don't think that would have been published anywhere else. I really don't because not of interest. It would have been hard to justify. Well, who cares about this? And I know it's cynical, but that's the way you, know, you have to approach these things. They have limited time, limited space. Would you rather read about Michigan, Michigan State, you know, in my world, or would you rather read about Indigenous Lacrosse? Yeah. The clicks win. Well, I think you probably know who Barry Weiss is, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, um, I, I, I don't know if you're a fan. I am a, uh, a fervent fan, if, if that's the right usage of that word, but I, I'm a strong supporter of hers. And I think what you're feeling and what she's feeling and I'm not a journalist, but I think my frustration in the world, um, the news media to me, and you wrote this pretty scathing uh, piece about a month ago, which, you know, I wanted to read something really briefly from it. Where did it go? Um, I don't want to waste too much. Okay, here it is. Um, Fewer journalists and more opinion monsters leave the truth running in second place. And I feel like um, strong reporting takes time, effort, and money. You can't snap your fingers and uncover things. Crafting a news article or report takes skill and discipline. Um, I think what you're touching on and what Barry's touching on, and even, you know, I, I joke about Russell Brand, but I actually go to him for the news. And Barry Weiss, to me, is giving me nuanced perspective. And I don't think the news media um, is doing their job anymore. And, and I don't know if, I, it's, it's strange. I, I feel like attention span, I, I promise I, I, I will have a point or a question soon, but I feel like it's this, I don't know if you've read the book, um, Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Portman. I've heard of that, I've not read it though. Well, he's basically, this came out in the 80s, but he's basically citing that um, the news media wasn't holding truth at the top. And when you couple that with people's dwindling attention span and this just need to be entertained, like as long as I have six hours of Hulu at my fingertips, I don't even care. So it's almost right. like the news media is taking advantage of people's apathy and they're obfuscating the truth. I don't know if they're doing it intentionally or unintentionally, but it's sort of creating this world where we need somebody to give us the truth, or at least seem like they're going to try to give us the truth, because it feels like the major news media corporations uh, are no—they they no longer hold truth up. They—they uh, they don't. That's not highly revered anymore. You know, it's that right there is a whole PhD project for somebody <laughs> sure. much smarter than me to do. But you know, to me, a few things have happened. Number one. You know, if you're really cynical about this, you'll argue the media never told the truth. Hmm. That it, you know, up until, you know, probably the 1970s, it was white, it was male, it was, you know, you know, Cronkite and you know, and all you know, all these guys that were processing. You know, you know, they didn't tell the truth about Kennedy. You know, they didn't tell the. You know, we never knew that FDR was in a wheelchair and couldn't move. I mean, I mean, there there are a lot of things that we didn't know, and the shadings of World War II and. You know, and, and you know, I mean, you, you could go down the list. You know, you know, racial tensions not being talked about. The, um, you know, how you know, there's just a lot of bad stuff has happened, filtered through the media. So when you say the truth, um, this is the challenge that I have when I talk to people that are just like, oh, how can you live with being a journalist? That's, you're you're a good person. That's a disgusting job. 
And this is the problem. People don't want to hear the truth anymore, Eddie. Hmm. This is the whole thing is when someone does tell the truth, like actually tell the truth and it's verifiable, they get, get attacked. They get torn down. That's not true. And the problem is if MSNBC says the truth and I'll just be kind saying Fox News says true things, no one's going to believe the other side because we're so polarized. So even the message of the truth is now lost in the filtering. Now, obviously, the media has gotten more diverse. Uh, you know, if I had been born, you know, 50, you know, 50, 60 years earlier, I would never have had my job. I mean, frankly, if I had not been born in Gen X, I wouldn't have had my job. So, you know, the, the gatekeepers of who talked about what and who processed what have always been there. But I think what has changed and especially accelerated, I'd say since, you know, I want to say about 2005, is the acceleration of the strip mining of media for profit for, for mm. Wall Street. And, you know, I just I can just tell you when I was hired at the Detroit News, it was 1999. I at one point woke up in 2006 and I was like, wow, you know, my workload is incredible. I stepped back and realized that I had assimilated pieces of six other people's jobs that either retired or laid off and had never gotten replaced. It's unsustainable because, you know, for me as a sports writer, covering the NBA is a full-time gig. Covering the Olympics is a full-time gig. If you want me to be an investigative slash feature reporter, that takes a full-time gig. Yeah. I was doing that all at the same time. So when you talk about the truth and uncovering and finding it, you know, we're all burned out. And then on top of it, when we're burned out, we're also getting attacked by the public, you know, through social media or through email or whatever means. And, you know, I think for a lot of people that I know, I mean, I, I could make you a list of a hundred amazing journalists, a lot of the women, obviously, because they're from you know my team, right? That quit. They're just done. They should be in the business. They would be doing amazing things, but they're like, you know what? It's not worth it. This is not worth it. I'm being underpaid, overworked, harassed to no end. And then I'm supposed to tell you the truth on top of it, you know. So it's very hard to provide structure. Now, obviously, we have to be more fine about our points. Television news is a very different game than print, which is a very different game than social. So we're, we're you know, and then radio, we don't depend on radio much for news anymore. So I really think, understand that TV news has become, you know, I think the rise, and I had that in that article, uh, the rise of reality TV has corrupted what yes. reality is. So we've got that problem. Um, yeah, you but know, you just, but you ever, brought, sorry, you brought up a good point though. And I think, I think we are allowing social media to control what people in the news media are writing about. Like even when Alec, yeah. even when Alec Baldwin had that terrible incident happen, somebody on Twitter is finding old tweets that he tweeted that were sort of anti-gun. OBJ's dad is tweeting something. And then the news media is actually talking about what these people are doing. Well, there's a few things there. Number one, um, if you look at the percentage of who is on Twitter, it's majority media driven. So it's like the echo chamber of things in Twitter land. You know, and frankly, that's what Trump hit upon so well. You know, he used, he weaponized Twitter with that go-to journalist and journalists reported on, oh, but it's the news. I saw it on Twitter. Well, no, it, it may not be the news, but the real challenge for us is this whole gotcha culture, especially online hmm. of like, oh, well, Eddie, you said this in your latest song. Let me go back and do a keyword search in your Twitter and see if you ever said anything about it. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's just awful that we're always looking to get people. And, you know, how many times have I seen, you know, somebody that did something good, like somebody who truly did something good. And then within 24 hours, they're completely torn down because someone saw, found a tweet from, you know, 2012 where they 
quoted Tupac or something and used or used the N-word or something, you know, something that was inappropriate. Let's see, we gotcha, yeah. invalidate you, you know, and you know, the definition of what is news is challenging. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm personally frustrated with the media right now in terms of COVID reporting. How and there's been so many headlines that have been rightfully called out by other journalists saying something like, you know, um, you know, you know, St. Joe's health system late, you know, fires 134 for refusing to take COVID vaccine. You'll see a headline. Okay, they fired 134, but if you go into the article, the fifth paragraph, you know, the health system had a 99.2% compliance rate right. for getting vaccinated. Isn't that the story? But instead, we made it look like there was some revolution going on because we focused on the 0.7% that didn't get vaccinated. So there's this, you know, the, the, the goosing for SEO, because remember, every headline is online in that, you know, you track the SEO. And I know places that were literally track the SEO every 15 minutes and tweak the headline, see if it goes up, tweak the headline, see if it goes up, tweak the headline, tweak this, tweak that, all to boost the SEO. And, you know, I'm old school, you know, it's like, we need to be doing the right things that are the right things, not just because the Google and the Twitter monsters want them, but we're not there because we have to make money. supported by the government like in other countries i mean we're not the bbc we're not you know the cbc which obviously comes with its own problems of government control of the media and you know all the first amendment stuff but the media is being strip mined to death and you're seeing an actual absolute lack of reporters people that can do the job are not there hmm. and they're and if they are there there's not enough of them to get it done and they're not given the time space and money to do it so saying that you want the truth is great we all want the truth but the problem is who's going to deliver it I don't, you know, what do you, what do you teach in college right now? What do you, what Journalism. No, I know, but, but specific, <laughs> but specifically, you know, what, what's your uh, area? Sports. Well, I, see, I teach sports writing and, you know, and I, sports writing and sports content development and leadership. I do a lot of leadership coaching with my students about how to, you know, make, make these decisions. How do we, we have limited time, limited space. How do we make the best decision to serve the public? I teach them a lot about how to find um, records like police records, uh, charitable records, how to dig. I teach them how to dig. But, you know, my students aren't getting jobs. That's the whole thing. They're getting hired. They're having great careers because sports is still, frankly, relatively more stable. And I use that in air quotes, relatively more stable than other parts of the journalism business because people still care about sports. People still want to click and read about football. People still want to click and read about the World Series. So as long as people are still connected to sports, they're still connected to us, which is great. And, you know, I mean, at the Atlanta, I just read that the Atlanta uh, – Atlanta Journal Constitution sold a crap ton of physical dead tree newspapers for commemorative sections for the World Series. So people still respond to print. It's you know it's not all just the magic magic right. box, but right. you know it's really hard when I'm talking to students. I mean, most of my students have never had the habit in their entire life of reading a newspaper. In fact, most of them never had a newspaper in their households. You got to remember, most of my students are now born after 9/11. Um, or, or born right at 9-11. They have no memory. They have no organic memory of it. And for them, their parents were terrified about the world. So what they do, they shut off the news, cut off, you know, we don't want to talk about these things. They're very scary. They're very bad. So their news judgment and their news experience is low. And I think that's another thing we're suffering from in just a, in this country is media literacy. And this is one of the lectures I give is, um, can't, you know, people can't tell the difference between me 
writing something for the New York Times or TMZ or People or, you know, the Chicago Tribune or The Athletic or Kim Kardashian on Twitter or Joe Blow 123 you know, on Instagram. To them, it's all media. It's all equal weighted. And it's not. It's well, not. I mean, but Bill Maher, you know. you know, Bill Maher brought this up the other uh, other day on his show. You know, the, one of the Kardashians, I forget her name, but she holds more value. And, and I touched on this on a podcast that I... Like Kylie. Yeah, I, exactly. But that's, you know, I that's why I blame uh, social media and the phone and Instagram. It has literally ripped values to shreds like that phone and um just on a you know on a personal level somebody cares more about followers and their following than their family or their real life friends the news media cares more about you know advertising dollars and their and don lemon or tucker carlson creating more viewership and they don't care how they do it and, and that to me is, I, I don't know how, and I know I sound dystopian and, and class half empty, but I, I just, I don't know how we can unravel the threads and, 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 and create some sort of fashionable world to live in if, if, if they are pulling on the strings also. It, it, to me, it's just, I don't know how this ends well. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. And I, one thing that I do know is I think social media and also I will say this, you have to link social media. First, you have the 24 hour cable news cycle. So treating politics as sport, you know, the exit polls, things that, you know, polling nonstop, you know, Politico did that. CNN obviously came in, then Fox and then MSNBC and the rest. So treating politics as an ongoing reality show with, you know, these characters, you know, good, you know, good people, bad people. So it's nonstop outrage machine. And we're constantly pushing the anger and the outrage. Did you see this? Oh, my God. This whole, you know, this whole needing to constantly, you know, that's what Tucker Carlson does. That's what, you know, some of the other people you've mentioned do. They press the outrage button. And it's not just that you can have someone read something. You need them to react, right? So if someone reads open court and like, oh, well, that was really good. I like that. But if they don't react or like, my value of having what they did that day is not able to be put into a metric. Hmm. And that's a challenge. So what do I, you know, if you're in a diabolical mind, what do I do? I'm going to say some ridiculous crap, throw it out, dude, get you so mad that you're going to respond. Ooh, great. I got them responding. We have engagement, you know, that whole vicious cycle. And I think we've hit the outrage button so much and called each other such horrible names because we could, because, you know, we were hiding behind a screen. Yeah. And I think some things have broken and some people are unwilling to see, you know, if I'm a Democrat, I can't see a Republican as human. Or if I'm a Republican, all the Democrats are enemies. But we've created such polarization without any recourse. And at least in the past, you know, if you're going to call someone a jerk, you'd have probably had to do it to their face or some sort of physical, you know, either on the phone or something. Now I can type the most awful things to you, send it to your Twitter account and hide. And then yeah. you ingest that poison it goes in your head and it goes in your heart and they like screw them. Right. And, you know, and especially for those of us that are in creative endeavors and obviously yours is intensely highly creative. Your soul is out there. The music you make, you know, you know, what you produce as a DJ, that is you, that is an expression of your pureness of your soul. So if somebody decides to come after you on Twitter and say, Oh my God, Eddie sucks and blah, 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 blah. That tears at you personally. I mean, that's the, that's the cancer. That's the poison. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. And I think people forget the, um, I'm not saying that I'm a ditch digger or I'm a physician, but 
um, there is something about when you, you know, even this podcast, I'm not just like, you know, wasting my time or your time and just like talking about, you know, the weather. I, I'm trying to really create a world where people are thinking below the surface and thinking critically. And you're right. It's 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 easy for somebody who's got like a great six pack ab or something to just go take, you know, sh- shots of their abs or like if they, you know, go drink some smoothie. I mean, that is such innocuous uh, "Quote unquote stuff" in the grand scheme of things, but I think, I I think of that kicker from the Chicago Bears. You know, I'm I'm not comparing myself to him who missed that kick, and like the next day they were just spewing vitriol and death threats at him on Twitter. It's like people forget that we are human beings, and and if you throw those words at, I think words don't have as much meaning as they used to, or at least the. The um, value of them, well, no, I guess you know what I'm saying. People feel yeah. like they can spew them, you just yeah. however they like. But people forget that if people read those, it's it's going to really hurt somebody. It's it's a really dangerous landscape. Well, and I've you know some of the people that have come after me for various reasons, mostly because of my gender, or they want to pick on how I look, or make a comment about my body in some way. You know, when I answer them back, and usually it's a Twitter DM or something like you know. Does this, yeah, you sound like, do you feel better? I mean, because I don't know if you understood the full ramifications of what you just did. I said, you just tore me down. I wrote an article and you have to come back and call me a fat whatever. And Mm -hmm. do you feel better? And then the uh, nine times out of 10, oh my God, you're answering me. You're talking to me. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, because you basically, you know, spewed hate at me. And I just want to say, you know, think, please think about this. Yeah. And then look at this whole thing. Well, I didn't think you were real and I didn't think you were going to see it. And I was just upset and it just came out and I'm really sorry. And I didn't mean it. And, you know, I'm, you know, you must think I'm a jerk. I mean, so it's interesting to watch this whole facade fall down. And I'm like, you know, I'm not telling you, I'm not here to stand in judgment of you. I'm just telling you the effects of what you did is not right. And I have every right to stand up for myself in front of you for, you know, I said, you know, I guess one guy said, you know, he really used some language. I mean, I said, you know, does anyone come to your workplace, stand there and call you every name in the book? Well, no, that'd be crazy. Well, that's what you just did to me. Yeah. It's funny. I, oh. I, I'm, I, I like Jordan Peterson a lot and mm-hmm. I, I, but it's funny. I will, I will see him on Twitter responding to trolls that are just spewing this this hate and I I'm thinking what you know I've gotten some very little but I but but I don't respond to those people because it's sort of like but this is sort of my point to sort of the productivity of our culture I think we waste so much time if you th- add up if Jordan Peterson and you, you know, intellectuals and writers are actually responding to people on on Twitter if you multiply that times all the people that are wasting time responding and spewing venom, I think that's why we have a collapse of, of society and community. I will say this, though. I have a few friends that will screenshot and shame. Like, mm. hey, is this you? And then tag them back. Such tag them. Say, hi. You know, hi, Joe Blow, one, two, three. You know, I, I Googled you and, uh, you know, hi to the wife and kids. Do they know that you said this to me? And then just kind of let the, you know, it's like throwing like the raw meat to the wolves. And, you know, in some cases I do support that. Um, Other cases I do ignore. Other times I block. Other times I report them because they're a little out of the bounds. But, 
you know, I think the humanization of it comes back to, I didn't know, I didn't think you'd see it. I didn't, and my favorite is, I didn't know you were real. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm not some fictional character that's living inside of a box. I mean, you know, but I mean, I've gotten that enough times now that I, that there's something to that. Like, I didn't know you were real. I'm like, well, what did you think I was? Yeah. You know, and then I, and then the magic phrase of, you know, if I was your wife, your daughter, your sister, your friend, how would you feel if someone, you know, talked to me like that? Oh, I'd kill him. <laughs> yeah. Let me you ask know, you. It's troubling. Uh, um, at some point, I get the sense you, I'm, I think I remember, but I apologize if I forget and you'll remind me. You had the intention of of getting into sports professionally at some point, and then no, okay, it was just something that you, it was something you loved no. to do. But I guess, oh god, no, no, but okay, so but what, but at what point then did you want to get into journalism? Oh, I wanted to be a sports writer since I was in third grade. Oh, really? Okay. So there, there's been no ambiguity. This has been this has been the path. I come from a family of journalists. Um, my uncle's an amazing journalist in Germany. Uh, I've always been a really good athlete, grew up in Detroit, you know, which is sports mad, like Cleveland. So it was kind of the right alchemy was there. I did play college tennis, but trust okay. me, I'm five foot five. Um, I'm a foot too short, you know, way too slow. I was good enough. I was good enough to grind at a certain level, but the rest of it, no, I, I, I played one person who ended up going pro in high school and she destroyed me in 20 minutes. So, and then, and then she ended up playing Steffi Groff. Like two months later, and Steffi Graf did the same thing to her that she did to me. Oh, so wow. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I lose in ten minutes to Steffi Graf. Fantastic. So no, 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 no. no okay. Well, then I can. But I guess my my question, and I, I asked, um, I had a journalist on a couple weeks ago. When did you? Because this collapsing of of what I see didn't just start, you know, a year ago. Oh no! Uh, but, but but when did you get the sense, wh- whether you were in college or was it your first job? When were you feeling that something was was sort of um, breaking at the seams? Uh, that's a good question. Well, the layoffs started in earnest right after nine eleven. So um, I would say about two thousand two, things started getting really nasty. Like just wait. That's when the wave after wave after wave of um, layoffs started. Uh, before that, though, I was concerned that, you know, I, I work for Gannett, which is a major corporation, USA Today. You know, they had a lot, of, you know, a lot of big papers, and they were not handling the Internet well. I mean, mm. just, you know, the idea of having a web page or, you know, just the, the, you know, it was print first, digital second. And it's like, I'm not so sure. So I remember when I um, first joined Facebook, which I think was about 2004, 2005, I was pretty early adopter of it. And I wanted to do a piece about how athletes were using Facebook. Basically, I went after Michigan and Michigan State um, athletes for just unbelievable stuff they were posting on Facebook that was just wholly inappropriate. Frankly, some of it was criminal. Yeah. Um, reaction I get was like, well, why would we write about that? It's like the kids are doing that. I'm like, mm. so, you know, so the, the stodginess was bad. So you combine that with you know, the collapse of a lot of things, 9-11. And then it just accelerated and accelerated. And then all the infamous disruptors started coming in. So then, you know, making the media the enemy for everything has been probably the last 10 years, you know, both politicians and pop culture and this whole narrative of, you know, take your content back and monetize yourself. I think the most dangerous thing that I've seen, which is kind of been going on the last 10 years, is telling even as young as high school students, you know, what's your brand? Hmm. You know, who are you? It's like, your brand should be just to be a kid, a normal person in the world. You don't need a, you know, what's your brand and what's your image going to be like? And, 
you know, I've heard that enough from my students, like, where did you get this from? You know, your brand, you're 21 years old in college, just trying to live life. Well, I need to have my brand and I have to make sure that my brand's on point. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh. So the whole concept of self and having to make yourself the star. So there's a lot of things that conflate together. So there wasn't an aha moment where I saw, you know, the burning fire in the sky. It's it's been coming in pieces. Wait, but uh, educate me a bit. What's... Um, the why 9-11? Why was that an impact on journalism? Uh, well, because, well, 9-11 uh, basically, you know, put this country kind of in a depression. It's almost mm. like you know, COVID 1.0 that, you know, travel stopped, which means advertising dollars dro- dried up, which means sports stopped, you know, in some degree. So, I mean, it's this chain reaction of things that happened. And also a lot of, you know, Silicon Valley, um, again, there's books on this, you know, some you know, things start shifting, you know, a lot of the dot-com bubble started bursting. So a lot of the money that was getting shifted around and stuff kind of imploded. Uh, and, and, and I know with 9-11, the, the real problem too was that, you know, a lot of the traditional ways that newspapers made money with classified ads, you know, Craigslist, I mean, like everything else, disruption creates opportunity. So even how, you know, so like how we do business now has changed with Zoom, you know, there's not going to be as many people going on job interviews, you know, unless they're going to do this first or do this, you know, they're not, not going to bring people in at all. They're just going to do it this way. That's going to save money. Well, that's going to cost other people money and travel, hotels, things like that. So it's like this weird ripple effect. And just go with USA Today, USA Today, the New York Times, I think sometimes even the Washington Post used to be left at the door of every single hotel. That was the greatest scam. Yeah. 500 copies here. If I, well, that all dried up. <laughs> Yeah. Let me ask you, I'm just thinking as you're chatting, um, and I'm not anti-free speech. I'm I'm not condemning creativity and artistry. You know, I think I have a home studio. Uh, It certainly saved me money to be able to record a lot here. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I still have to record the drums. But I I personally think, even though we have all these opportunities and writers can go to Substack and musicians can use GarageBand or Logic and I feel like it's harder now than ever for artists or writers to make a living as a as a writer. Do you agree with that theory or not? Oh, 100%, 100%. Well, number one, and I think you probably will agree with me, everyone thinks they can do it. Hmm. So the market is saturated with 100, 100 wannabes. Number two, people don't value what they do. Well, you just write something. It can't be that hard. Hmm. And number three, the value of what we do has been, you know, the people that are in charge set the price. So, I mean, I can ask for $5 a word for my publishers, but if they don't give it to me, I'm not going to get it. So that's why the Substack model is like, okay, well, I'm going to value my work at what my work is. And if the market agrees, I win. Now, if the market does not agree, <laughs> you don't win at all. Right. So. Uh, you know, but everyone, you know, I mean, you know, I'm sure you get that. Oh yeah. You know, um, you know, my son, my son's, uh, got a, you know, got a, a band and he's on YouTube. He's really successful. You know, they look, they got a thousand whatevers and, or, you know, my daughter's very successful as an influencer. She's on TikTok. You know, I mean, I hear stuff like that. And, and that's actually the interesting thing is in the last couple of years, the last three years, so I've been at Michigan state now, this is my seventh year. Uh, last three years, I've got more students, usually female saying, you know, I want to be a journalist, but I'd rather first be a TikTok influencer or a Instagram influencer and make some money, and then I'll move into journalism because you know you make no money, wow. and that's the next thing. You, if you want to attract the very best talent, the people that are willing to take the slings and arrows, go to the city council meetings, dig up the stuff, do the things we need done, we got to be paying them more than twenty-one thousand dollars a year and working them hundred hours a week. Yeah. 
So, you know, that's, you know, that's where you start and TV. And here's the thing that's print TV is lower. I saw a starting salary for a job for a TV anchor entry level, very small TV station, middle of nowhere, but they're offering 17, five. That's, that's ridiculous. Which means you have to get another job. So, I mean, I do know some people that are working entry level, just trying to get their foot in the door and grind their way up. They're doing Uber, you know, shipped all that other stuff. You know, the grind, but I mean, the problem is, is they're still doing a full-time job within another job just to support their other job. You know, it, it, I mean, at some point you're going to break, you're physically going to break. The burnout's happening and I'm seeing enough burnout in a lot of places, but the creative is not respected. I do feel like um, Da Vinci um, artists were paid very well. They they were the high class, and something shifted. and And it's weird. I sort of remember you know you two giving that free record away on on uh, the iPod like fifteen years ago, and I was like thinking that was awesome. And the reaction was, how dare they just invade my iPod? I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it's strange. I actually have a little disdain towards actors now. And in and, and this, like, we treat them like royalty as a society. Or, or, you know, we think, like, this coverage of Alec Baldwin and uh, and even the Emmys, the, the the optics of everybody there who's an actor isn't wearing a mask, but then people are, you know, walking around serving them and they have to wear a mask. So it, I know I'm possibly contradicting myself because I think our culture um, looks up to actors too much. Um, but then I also think back to the days when, you know, Eddie Vedder and, and Bono, that ability to transform a, a, a stadium and, and to sort of sweep the energy and, and literally transform the energy in a, in a stadium. I mean, that is a unique talent. I mean, music has this power. You know, a good book has this power. So I, I don't know what's... In the one hand, I am frustrated that we as a society don't value art. But, but it's complicated. Something shifted. And I, I, don't, I can't quite understand it. Well, I, I don't think, I'm not saying we need a class system, I mean, because that was wrong, but mm. we have no understanding of who is truly skilled and who's mm. just doing crap. Yeah. And, you know, everyone, I mean, we've kind of flattened everything out. And I really, you know, to your point about Da Vinci, you know, Da Vinci was thrown out of Florence by the Catholic Church <laughs> because it didn't, he got a little too funky, a little too cool to science. So he actually fled to a noble family um, that was in the French, uh, French monarchy. And he lived out the last couple of years of his life in France. And that's where he invented all kinds of cool stuff. And he's buried in France. I've, I've, I've yeah. been to the castle where it's in Amboise, France. But, but the whole thing was, he, they threw him out. They threw his ass out in the street like, <laughs> see ya, you know, cut the money off. So be careful. Uh, we don't want the Da Vinci fate. We're going to have to flee to another country. But, uh, but he, you know, um, but you, I think you knew my, I, I agree with you. But oh, I, no, I know yeah, your point. But that's yeah. what I'm saying, but he got, he got hooked up twice. That's my point. He didn't yeah. get it first. He got twice. Right. And uh, that was, you know, that was interesting to see the patronage. But, you know, not, not everything's created the same. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to December the 1st because I will be at SoFi Stadium for BTS. 
Uh-huh. I got tickets and they are one of the few acts I think that can generate that electricity. I've seen you too. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen Pearl Jam, but uh, the few acts that I have seen that have literally like torn it up to a, a level where you almost felt like your whole body like was tingling was Eminem here in Detroit mm. at, at the peak of his eight mile. That was insane because, but everyone was in sync with them. You know, it was locals. It was like, it was him with yeah. us. Um, you too. I've seen them twice. You know, that was just electric. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, from what I've seen and what I think because of this being the first big post pandemic concert in two years and the band has gone to even higher stratosphere, it's going to be BTS too. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that works. Um, I hear SoFi is super cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, you're right. But the, the problem is that we have, you know, think of, think of your field. American Idol, you know, The Voice, all these things, even these singer-songwriter competitions have totally, it's not McDonald's. You just don't take somebody up, you know, match them up with someone for five minutes and say, now a star is born. I mean, the amount of time you spend working on your craft, judging what you do, um, you know, you know, living in it, sweating with it, hating it, loving it. You know, we, 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 we act like we could just manufacture everything hmm. and we can't. And yes, you can auto-tune yourself. You could you know, logic yourself, you know, there's a hundred things you can do that make yourself better and easier. But at the end, if you don't have the talent and the drive combined with the hard work, it's not going to go anywhere. And, and, and the sad part with both what we do is even if we do our very best, like we knock it out of the park, like it is amazing. If the audience doesn't respond to it, it doesn't matter corporately, right? We, yeah. You've got to sell records. I've got to sell books. So that's the frustration that we do, that even doing our job well is reward for ourselves, obviously. But commercially, yeah, you know, if you're not Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> Who I think is, know? I know, and I think I don't understand the. No, and I like her, but I'm just saying it's like the alchemy between someone who's turning out something really good on Spotify that you'll never hear from versus, you know, the, the plays. Yeah. You, you can't rig that. Um, two more th- points. Um I, I asked you what makes you, uh, what inspires you to write and, and open court, but let's let's go a little, little below. Let's go a little deeper. I mean, do you feel? What do you feel like? At what age did you feel like writing was something that you had to do or wanted to do? Um, it, the, 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 my whole life. But but why? You know, like who inspired that? Not, or? Um, I'm highly verbal. Hmm. I, I you know I could. My brain is just wired very, very, very into words, hmm. words and languages and reading. I've been, I mean, I'm, I'm a crazy reader. So uh, open court to me is a way where I can get out my authentic voice. And I take that very seriously in that there are very few women in our society that are allowed to have a stable, regular, uncensored platform about sports. And hmm. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. And that's a privilege. Now, it's a privilege I've earned by doing this job very well for a long time. So, I mean, I know I'm playing with fire, but I, I know how to, you know, handle the matches. But, you know, I really want to bring my perspective to things. So my perspective is different that, you know, I am someone who loves sports, but I'm someone who can also hate sports. I'm someone who is American, but my family is, you know, immigrants. You know, I'm my mom's an immigrant, things like that. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I am an American, but I'm not an American. So, I mean, I know I bring different things. I love medicine. I love science. So I can bring that in. But I'm also trying to be a real student of human nature. Yeah. And I've never wanted to take athletes and just distill them down to their fastball, 
or their forehand or whatever. I mean, they're a human being and seeing them as some of the most complex people out there because they're highly successful, but at the same time, some of them are absolute failures as human beings. And seeing what happens to them when they retire is, you know, a cautionary tale for all of us. It's almost, you know, the Icarus flying too close yeah. to the sun. So I, you know, so, so I, I do, I mean, I am different. I'm not going to quote to you statistics from Tom Seaver from 1972. <laughs> I will never play fantasy football. I honestly, like today, I have not had the TV on all day. Nothing's been on in this house. Hmm. I was good. Don't need the NFL. I yeah. can look up the scores. I can tell you what happened. Don't need it. So so I am different. And I think, you know, we need different voices because a lot of sports is uh, sports media, should I say, is about the yelling, the finger pointing, the Stephen A. Smiths, the Skip Baylesses. And that's not me. It'll yeah. never be me. And that's fine. It doesn't need to be me. So being able to be my authentic self and you know, write seriously about, you know, you know, the issues that we need to talk about and then dive into goofy crap. And, you know, my love of BTS, it's all there. It's all me. So for the first time, I think I can really show all sides of myself. And also, you know, the other writing that I do do, like I have a new children's book coming out, you know, in a, mm. you know, at the end of the year, things like that. I do do other stuff. So, but it's just, this is the place for me to be me, like my little clubhouse. Yeah. So um, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Um, I resonate, and this will be our plastic last area, I guess, was this, this could go on for two hours, but I don't think so. So you brought up something, and my last guest said the same thing, and I'm realizing it's probably why I write also and even have the podcast, and I started writing poems this last week, because I, I think I finished a book, it should come out next year, finished the record. Um, I'm sort of asking myself, like, what do I do now? Because you know, it, it's, it's, I'm one of those people where... Um, I mean, I, I guess I started writing poems a week ago because I'm trying to get into the habit of just writing every day because maybe that'll sort of like get the brain flowing and something I write will inspire me to, you know, write a book or I, I'm not sure yet. But I think I do think I have a unique perspective on the world and I'm trying to make sense of the world through what I write and talk about and sing about. And... I was watching the show Billions, and these two characters are having a tiff, and one of them says, after a while, she, uh, um, they say, there's nothing that I can say that will get you to change your mind or, or look at it in a different way. And I'm going to bring up Aaron Rodgers and, and you know, your, your, um, and bringing up Joe Rogan. And I think what I see going on is, is, is evil and uh, sinister. And I, I don't, I think Joe Rogan, I think why people are getting upset with Joe Rogan, and this isn't politics, you know, I, I, I personally don't like either of the people that, that are, that was, I don't like the last guy, I don't like the current guy. But I think the media, the news media, and people are upset with Joe Rogan because he's saying what he, his experience is. And I think a lot of people resonate with his experience. And I have trouble with this, the reaction to, what's, to the pandemic, to me, doesn't measure with what the pandemic is. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I'm hearing anywhere from 0.7 to 1% of the population is, is, is dying from this. 
Of course, those numbers go exponentially lower the younger you get. When I see Colin Powell, who is 84 years old, had multiple myeloma, and the, news, yeah. and the newspapers are saying uh, COVID complications caused his death. It's sort of like, no, COVID complications did not cause his death. He probably died right. because he's 84 and had multiple myeloma. Now, I don't know if he was on chemo, but you know, I, I understand, like the way that, let's, I'll focus it a bit. The way Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers handled it was clearly um, they were they were they didn't handle it well. I mean, you can get into that a bit, but I do resonate with what Aaron Rodgers is talking about. This I've I had health issues from a, from a young age. I take pride in my health, and this this global immunization going on where everybody should do this, um, I just think is dangerous. And I think anybody like Joe Rogan, or in this case, Aaron Rodgers, or in my case, me, just saying that that's potentially dangerous and evil, I think there's something to be said there. Now, if you're over 60, if you have, you know, three to four multiple conditions or underlying conditions, yeah, I think it probably makes sense to get the vaccine. But up until a year ago, kids were not the issue. And now just out of nowhere, they're forcing kids five to 12 to get the vaccine. I mean, this... This I'm I'm not anti-vaccine. I just think there's some strange uh, strings being pulled, and it actually I, I try not to think about it too much because when I do, I kind of get scared out of my mind, thinking, "Where is this going?" Well, you know, I guess the bigger question to me is, I don't think whatever facts, data, research are presented. People, if they choose not to believe anything other than their own information, it doesn't matter what it is. So hmm. to me, I mean, I respect those that don't want the vaccine if they can explain to me with real science. When Aaron Rodgers says that he can't get the J&J vaccine because of all these people that were dying, so far statistically we know it was six women under the age of, I think, 40 that were, and I also think that they were saying that they had clotting issues anyway, so six. So. Aaron Rodgers, an NFL, a 39-year-old male quarterback, is worried about the six women. Okay, that doesn't make science Completely. logic. And also, the, my favorite part about that whole thing is, if Aaron Rodgers is truly worried about women getting blood clots and dying in this country, then he should go on an active campaign to stop oral birth control because that causes seven times more hmm. death and clotting. So our, our comparison of science is not great about that. And then the next thing that kind of blows my mind in some ways is I actually know people that I consider friends that insist that this is all overblown and not a hoax, that a lot of these, you know, that, that the numbers are inflated and it's just being done for insurance. And, you know, I, I personally have had six people in my life die from COVID. Two of them were my age and were healthy, just gone. Took them, took them in January. They got the Delta variant and it just took them out. It was before they could get vaccinated. Not saying if they had gotten vaccinated, it would have happened. I don't know, but it happened. Others had parents pass away. Um, one parent was very healthy, other was not. So the circumstances are different. How desperate, and I totally agree with Colin Powell. That guy, and Colin Powell himself said that in July, one of his last interviews, like, dude, I'm sick. I've had a great life. I'm going to do what I can do to stay around because I want to be here for my family. But, you know, I, I'm not stupid, you know, and actually I respected that about him. He didn't hide what was going on. It was like the shock. But um, I think we have a problem in this country of dis, dis, we're right now in a very anti, anti-authority. We were tearing down all of our institutions. So, you know, tearing down teachers, tearing down the media, tearing down government, 
tearing down doctors, tearing down science, tearing down anything that seems to have authority, we need to level it. And that's the internet is, you know, the, the pot shots. Now, look, we absolutely need to clean stuff up. I mean, there is corruption, there is crap. I mean, you can point to the bad things all over the place. But at some point, when will people believe that something is okay? And I don't know for some of these people, there'll ever be enough data. They're like, oh, I, there's not enough research. I don't know what I need. Well, what do you need? You need five years worth of data? 10 years? I mean, I mean, I don't understand the construct. Now for myself, I'm vaccinated and I've had the booster because I, you know, if I get sick, I, I've had some lung issues. It's not going to be good for me. So I'm willing to bet on science over me playing um, in the street with COVID. Yeah. And that's just yeah. the scientific calculation I made and looking at some of the data. Now, what kind of stuns me though, is I have some friends that refuse to get their children immunized at all for anything. Hmm. And they lie. And that's, that's the part I find. And that's the Aaron Rodgers. If you don't want to do immunizations, that is fine, but then don't lie to the school system. Then don't, I mean, if you're going to take that stand and stand behind. Yeah, but it. don't they, don't they have to lie because they're going to be kicked out of school? I mean, I guess then they just have to figure out and do homeschool or, or figure out a solution. Well, but, well, but they, I, I, the point is though, you know, we had polio, we had smallpox, we had things in this country. I mean, you know, and talking with some of my doctor friends, like, you know what? I think if we had polio today, that people wouldn't take the vaccine. You know, I, I, that's a great point. I, I think, though, I guess I don't, I, I feel like I believe it's there. I just feel like, unfortunately, corporate agendas, special interests, they have, they have manipulated and pulled the strings to benefit mm -hmm. their own interests. And I, I can't, I, I, it's almost impossible for me to let go of that stance. And no, and but that's the but that's the poison that we've all been infected with. That yeah. you know, awful things are happening without a doubt, and those yeah, awful things are it's, coming out. It's but it, but then colors your view. Is anything okay? You maybe trust that what's going on. Um, there's no nefarious intentions because it just, it's hard for me. Oh, there's always nefarious okay. intentions that there's profit to be made. I mean, but to me, the greater good of me protecting myself and also protecting those I love and protecting society outweighs whatever nefariousness I see. And withholding the vaccine from my own body will do nobody any good because you will, A, will not be stopping these nefarious sources and B, I can get sick and C, I could give COVID to somebody else. So that's my, my decision tree is very mm. simple. Okay. All the other stuff that gets thrown on the either side is whatever. And the whole thing is, you know, I do work in a very people driven business. I'm around people oh, all okay. the time. That makes so sense. I don't have the option. Yeah. So I don't have the, the privilege to say, well, you know what? I'm just not going to go out or, you know, I'm not going to do this. I mean, I, you know, I'm around my students. I'm around, you know, I'm around other places. I'm in arenas. I can't do that. So it's you know, weird I, though. I, like, I, was thoughtful. I don't think of you though, if you didn't, it's strange though. I don't think of you as being a selfish person. If you don't get the vaccine, even if you're, I just, it's weird. I feel like the meat, the news media has twisted the story and really judged people. Like, you know, I'm, I walk up and down the aisle at the grocery store. If it's really about our health, all of those sugary cereals would not be in the grocery aisle. Well, 
No, because it's making money for somebody. Yeah, I, I so, just, I guess yeah. that I just feel like there have been so many ailments for hundreds of years. Suicide is exponentially on the rise. I, I just, it's it, to me, this is about picking and choosing what matters, and and I, I don't know. It's it's hard for me not to think like all. There are more car deaths in this world than ever. And yet car companies are putting more big screens on the front of those panels to distract people. So it's sort of like, come on, people. Well, and I'll flip it on you. What's the number one cause of concussion on, you know, in the United States? And was it, oh, it's got to be football. No, it's, it's car crashes. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I won't let my son play football. It's too dangerous. But yeah, but the most dangerous thing that happened was you driving from home to practice with him in the car. Yeah. Physically speaking, that is the most dangerous part of football practice is getting to football practice. Interesting. But, you know, it, it's, 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 so anyway, you know, I, I just wish, I just wish we were able to have discussions, you know, of sanity and people coming up with, you know, I mean, the part that kills me is they won't take the vaccine. So fine, don't take the vaccine. But now they will take the monoclonal antibodies, which is developed by a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, completely. With research. So it's like, wait a second, you didn't want the vaccine, so it's dangerous, but you're taking remdesivir or whatever, or the monoclonals, and you're what? Isn't that falling under the same branch of science that you're already distrusting? Yeah. I don't understand how that works. So that to me is like, you know, if you're going to walk your walk, walk your walk. Absolutely. I mean, it's your body. And, you know, I won't even get into the whole irony of the, the big crowd that wants, you know, freedom and autonomy is, uh, you know, my body, my choice is very limited in how they interpret that, especially in certain states like, oh, Texas. So yeah. um, only certain certain parts of our, our country get to make that decision at all times. And we'll just leave that there. But it's really challenging for me to understand the hypocrisy. Oh, God. It's, when, yeah. Well, it's like, if you don't want medicine to treat you, fine, that, understood. You have right to be suspicious, and I, I will appreciate that. Well, then don't go to the hospital and say, please save me, I need, and I now want every treatment that is available. Or my friends that work in hospitals say that these people that are huge anti-vax activists, like at a high level, unfortunately have been getting sick, end up in the hospital and demand to be vaccinated. Like, that's not how this works. You yeah. can't get vaccinated once you're sick. <laughs> right. You know, well, so I mean, so the basic understanding of science and medicine, and again, it comes back to literacy, our literacy about our own bodies, our literacy about science and peer reviewed research is crap, which is why all this infection stuff can spread, you know, the, the worst offenders on you know Instagram and Twitter are these so-called health experts that are just spreading crap because they're getting clicks. Hmm. They don't care. They don't actually care about what they say. It's getting clicks. Coming back to where we started. It's the outrage. Well, I'll leave you with this. I, I reached out to you about a month ago and then just life sort of got busy, but I have take, here's the thing. I, I take as much initiative as I can in my own health, eating well, taking vitamins and swimming. Like for, we have another similarity beyond the cats. I have, I used to swim like crazy, then I just stopped. But then through the pandemic, I've really gotten back into it. I swim four times a week now. Uh, I imagine you can't swim right now because of the weather, but maybe you can. Oh, no, I swim inside. Okay, good. We we have, we have roofs in Michigan. You know this. (laughs) I'm still swimming outdoors out here, which I know. (laughs) So, but like. What is, it's funny, I get these ads on Instagram, they want me to buy these headphones where I listen to music while I swim, and I just think, I can't do that. I I really enjoy hearing the water and and not just allowing my mind to think and come up with new ideas. Why do you like to swim so much? 
Uh, is peaceful, and I, I've got a, a, a breaking news alert that Uh-oh. will rock your world. Um, I now have one of those things, oh. and I used it yesterday for the first time, and it was awesome. Why? Why though? Like, tell because um, I can't, I can't I put, do it. I put, I put on classical music. Okay. So I put on classical, and um, I, I pounded out a mile, and I swam for an hour, so I pounded out like seventy-two laps or something. Wow. And wow. it's just a little thing. It's called Zygo. Yeah. This whole thing it actually transmits through your bones, which is kind of wild. I know it was great, but what I really like is you can turn it off if you want, or I can do tempo, so I can have mm. um, a coach. They have like little programs, like hey, you know, you know, keep this pace, or whatever. So you can make what you want. I'm not saying I'm gonna use it every time, but I did like it. <laughs> Interesting. It. Wow. Yeah, yeah. First half of the workout, I did classical. Um, I did some Bach, and but the second half, I went hip hop. So I flipped. <laughs> I flipped. I, I did a little skipped ahead of my Spotify. I had a pre-programmed, but. I wasn't sure if I'd like it. And actually, a guy at the pool a few weeks ago, I'd say actually more like two months ago, I saw that. I said, hey, you know, how does that work? I was just curious about the science because it literally it rests right here. It doesn't go in your ear. And he said, he said, you want to try it? Yeah. I put it on. It was the craziest thing I ever seen. I'm like, this is wild. This is wild. It's like, wow, this is really going hmm. through my bones. It sounds good. So I thought, you know what? I'll try it. Let's just try it. So I'm not going to use it every time, but I did like it. Interesting. My gosh, be, I'm... I'm feeling the curiosity increase here. I was I'm, curious. I was curious. I did like it, but no, I won't, I won't every time, um, use it. I think there are times where I do need to be alone with my thoughts, but yesterday I just felt like trying it. It was great. It mm. was really great. And my, the pool, the, the club I work, work out at has a dome, like one of those like soccer dome type things over the outdoor pool. And then they also have an indoor pool. So between oh, the two, great. you can choose, but I like the outdoor. It's a little deeper and I like having the big groove. It just feels a little more airy yeah. like I'm outside, yeah. but, um, yeah. So now swimming, swimming with music, it might be a thing. So. Okay. I'm not Yeah. No, I might, maybe I'll consider it. It's, it's really saved me through the last uh, 18. I mean, I'm sure I would have found something else, but I, there's something about being in the water. It's, it's been so healing and it's wonderful. Free. Well, you're, 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 you're safe, but you're away hmm. and you have, you know, you have your own place, your own speed. And, you know, and I, I don't know, it's just like my own little place, but uh, yeah, for me, swimming, tennis and lifting weights have been my salvation. So, um, you know, those each accomplish different things, but that's been a real thing for me. Yeah. Well, um, last time I spoke to you, I actually did feel anxious beforehand. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't nervous to talk to you and Matt. It was just, I was having a weird day, but I didn't, I didn't feel anxious before this. I, it's weird. The sun, I had a podcast last Sunday at this time. And actually, I think I like this time. It's, it's good. I think Matt. I think Matt made you nervous, so we're gonna blame Matt. <laughs> He'll be back on the next one. But Joanne, this, as always, I really, I, it's this is therapeutic, and it's great to speak to somebody that's like-minded and, and, and articulate and creative. And I feel like uh, this was another great talk. I think people really enjoy it. Okay. Well, I appreciate it as always, and more importantly, our cats made cameo appearances. That's, so that's we right. Mine were. You know, did you see? Mine were running in and out. I'm yours, sure. we're, yours were having a Zoom fest. Mine is conked out um, for the the pre nap before going to sleep for the night. So yeah. you know, it's, it's been a hard day. It's I was just. I was just thinking, would you want to be on television and, and do like um, reporting and that is some? I don't know. Like, I would, I've done some. T- I've okay. done some. Because you're you're um, very you're very good at it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I've done some TV, but you know, I'm a writer at heart. So okay. I mean, if, I, if I need to do it, I'll do it. Um, when I worked for ESPN, I did some on-camera stuff. But okay. yeah, you know, I'm I'm very good. I, I don't do this because I want to be famous or popular. So yeah. you know, it's it's kind of a different mindset. So you know, 
if I need to do it, I do it. And if I don't, I'm good. I mean, my gosh, I was on the Stephen A. Smith show. So oh I, my I, achieved the, I achieved the Nirvana and the Pinnacle. And <laughs> yeah. Down, so. oh, I'm going to have to find that but online. <laughs> well, oh. <laughs> nice to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Have, well, take care and love to the kitties. Likewise. Have a great night. Okay. Thank you. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. Was that a great talk or was that a great talk? Always wonderful having Joanne on the show. Remember, you can find her newsletter, sign up at opencourt.bulletin.com. She's on Instagram at joanneg313, website Joanne C. Gerstner. And I know she's on Twitter also. I'm forgetting the handle, but Joanne Gerstner on Twitter. She's a fantastic writer. I, I really enjoy her her newsletter. I think it's it's coming, as she said, Tuesdays and Fridays. Really thought provoking, and I don't know. I think I think this this new model, like Substack, like Bulletin on Facebook. I, I'm I'm really intrigued by how it all unfolds. I think it's already pretty obvious that it's becoming very successful. So I think this is great. So awesome talk. Thanks so much to all of you for listening. You know where to find me. Instagram at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Website, I am Eddie New record, Dystopian Days, everywhere on all streaming sites, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. As always, thanks to you. And Joanne, thanks again for joining me on the show. But thanks to you for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Mm-hmm.